0: Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 27. So once you're there, if you would please stand together for the reading of God's word this morning. Amen. Matthew 27 and verse 27. Once we're there, if you would stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him, and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they came out, they found a man of serene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. When they were come unto the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. When he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and sat up over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Father, this morning, we thank you for Calvary. Lord, we pray as we come afresh, Lord, to think on these things. That we pray, as already has been lifted up in prayer this morning, that the breath of God would breathe upon your people, upon the church. Oh God, we pray that you would anoint us. Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would quicken us. Lord, that it would not be a dead letter, but it would be a living word. Lord, we pray this morning that our hearts would be receptive. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be tender, our hearts would be open, there be good ground, O God. Lord, we pray that you would undertake for us, Lord, both to preach and to hear your word, O God. O Father, we're asking, Lord, for the bread of heaven. Lord, would you feed us this day, O God. Would the bread be broken? Would our understanding be opened? Lord, may we see clearly, Lord, with that fresh anointing upon our eyes, Lord, we are asking, Lord, that you would empower your people afresh with the spirit of the living God. Oh, God, have your way among us. If there's one in the midst this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes and open their understanding, oh God. Lord, we're praying that, Lord, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, Lord, that you would have free course, in this house today. So we give you the glory and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's take our seats together this morning. Do you know the central theme, the central theme of the Christian faith, despite with all our modern advancement and with all the modern apparatus and all the bells and whistles that we have accumulated up over this generation, but the simple theme and the central theme of the Christian faith is still an old rugged cross. It's still the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul writes the words for the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's still the power of God. You know, it's still the cross, you know, with everything that we can accumulate and use and all the different tools and all of these things that we're blessed with today. But you know, really the central theme and and the simple theme of the Christian faith is still that old rugged cross. It hasn't changed in all these 2,000 years since Christ hung upon that tree. Tozer said that the cross stands high above the opinions of men. And to that cross all opinions must come at last for judgment. It stands above it all, above all the wreck and the ruin and the mess. And all the distress and the darkness and the sin and every all the muck and everything that's happening in this world. There's something rises up above it all. And it's still that old rugged cross. Thank God for the cross this morning. You know, it's nothing. We need nothing else. And and we mean this sincerely. But we need nothing else. We need nothing more. It needs nothing added to it. Because Jesus said on the cross that it is finished. That means you can't put anything else with it. It does need not have anything else, but it's simply still the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I do believe this. I believe this, that if the Lord tarries in 30 years' time, that most of the churches, if there's no revival, that most of the churches, there'll not even be the preaching of God's Word anymore. It'll just be dens where there'll be an entertainment And all self-help programs. No longer will the book be opened. And preachers preach. You know Paul said. It's the preaching of the cross. And it's the preaching of the cross. That terrifies the hordes of hell. It's the preaching of the cross. That makes devils tremble. It's the preaching of the cross. That brings men and women. Under conviction of sin. It's the preaching of the cross. That is the power of God to save lives. But as we're on this. This course that we're seeing today. There will be a remnant. There always is. But in years to come. And it's already happening. No longer will the Bible be central to the preaching in God's house. It will be slowly moved to the edge. And more or less it will just become centers of entertainment. Self-help and psychological babble. But thank God for the cross this morning. It's the cross that's made the difference in your life. And in my life this morning and nothing else but the cross. 2,000 years ago, this may be familiar, but I want you to listen. 2,000 years ago, there was a man called Jesus. And this man was led out of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, that great city. And he was led out of Jerusalem beyond the boundaries of the city walls with a cross on his back. Beaten and bruised and broken at the hands of those Roman soldiers. That band of men that had already gone to work on the Lord. And here he comes. Just staggering outside that city wall. Heading towards a place called Calvary. 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 And as he walked he stumbled. He could not bear the load. He had already been whipped and beaten. His his organs were already exposed, the blood had already been poured out of his system. He's a weakened man, but he was enduring the cross that was before him. There was a man by the name of Simon, we just read it, that those Roman soldiers, as Jesus began to stumble on that path. You know, that we chorus that Sister Violet just a few weeks before she passed in to glory, she Talked about this, this old song that the gathers wrote. Can you wonder while he stumbled as he walked on Calvary's road? Why does it insert in the scripture... That the Lord could not bear the cross. Why is it put in there that he stumbled on that path to Calvary? And there was a man that was called Simon that was commanded by the soldiers to take up the cross of the Lord. Just to bring him on those few further steps. Can you wonder why he stumbled as he walked the Calvary's road? Friends, this morning I thank God that he not only stumbled but he endured. And he went on, and he went all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way to Calvary. And this man, Jesus, all these years later, with the millions upon millions of people across this world that join together, that will sing, that will preach, that will pray, that will rejoice, In this wonder of Calvary, that 2,000 years ago, that there is still only one man, one man, one name, that's associated with the cross. Yet it was one of the most brutal and most common types of death that the Romans would inflict upon the individual. There was literally thousands of men that were crucified at the hands At the hands of those Roman soldiers. But yet there's only one man. Two thousand years later. There's only one name. That's still associated with the death. With the crucifixion. And with the cross. And that name is Jesus. Through all the centuries. And all the years. And all the cultures. And all the kingdoms. And the dark ages. Here in the 21st century today. If you mention the cross. It is associated with one man. And that man is Jesus Christ. Think about it. See a person, think about it. Just consider that for a moment. Why after hundreds upon hundreds of years. When so many have been crucified. A thief on the left and a thief on the right. We don't know their names. But we know the name of the man in the middle. The central theme of it all. His name is Jesus. Friends this morning. The prophet Muhammad. And Buddha. And Hare Krishna. And your Joseph Smiths. And all your false religions and your cults. You can have them. They're from the pit of hell. But there's a cross. And there's a man associated with the cross. That's living forever, and his name's Jesus. You see, why is it different? Think about this. Why is it different? Why has his name? And friends, I want to tell you something. This is more than, I'm not, I'm not against this, but I'm just saying it's more than something. The cross, when we're talking about the cross, is more than something hanging around your neck. It's more than an earring in your ear. And sadly, in the modern church, it's more than a tattoo on your arm. The cross is not so much the symbol, but it's the work of the cross. It's more than an illuminous symbol on the side of a church wall. I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is, it's not the symbol. The world has the symbol. The demoniacs have the symbol. The devil has the symbol. But it's the power of the cross. You see this place. The reason why through the centuries. Today when you see a cross. The people all across this world. India, Africa, China. And all the continents. The reason. The listen carefully. The reason why is this, this man Jesus still associated with that cross. Is because on the third day, he rose again. You see, this place was a prepared... Listen carefully. You know, there's preachers coming out, heretics. That's what I call them. They're coming out today saying this was a suicide. This was no suicide. That's devilish talk. This was a sacrifice. This is what sets... The crucifixion of Christ apart from every other man that was crucified. This was a sacrifice. This was no last minute plan of Pilate or the Jews. This was no murder. This was no suicide. This was sacrifice. This was the sacrificial lamb. And 1 John, if you turn with me, 1 John chapters 3 and 16. It says these words, 1 John 3 and 16. It says these words, hereby. 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Hereby we perceive the love of God. What was it that he laid down his life? He laid that life down for us. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 it says these words that we are to walk in love as Christ also have loved us and hath given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. He has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. This was no last minute plan by Pilate. This was a sacrifice. This was God's sacrifice. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. And he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. He opened not his mouth. This was God's lamb. This was the sacrificial lamb. He was being led and he was willingly going all the way to Calvary for you and for me. Jesus is our sacrificial lamb in that Old Testament. They were instructed, you remember it well, in Exodus 12 and 5, that they were to take a lamb, but the lamb that you're to take would be without blemish, a male of the first year. They were to take that lamb, and these were shadows and patterns and types of the lamb that would come. And Deuteronomy 17 says that we're not to sacrifice unto the Lord wherein there's a blemish. And we thank God this morning that this lamb, this lamb, Jesus Christ, in him there was found no fault. He is the sinless, spotless lamb of God. If you turn over to John chapter 18, three times when Pilate examined him, this examination was crucial for us to understand that he is that lamb, that sacrificial lamb for us in the new covenant. But in John chapter 18, in that interaction with Pilate, Pilate said to the Lord in verse 38, John 18:38, Pilate said unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said unto, unto them, I find in him no fault, no fault at all. Go into John chapter 19 and verse 1. It says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe. And they said, Heal, king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. And Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Look at John 19 verse 5. It says, Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, This is the third time, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. He was the sinless, spotless lamb without blemish. 1 Peter 1 and 19 says of the precious blood of Christ that he is the lamb. He is the lamb without blemish and without spot. And John said in John 1 29, Behold, the lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. Friends, brothers and sisters, and sinner friend, listen very carefully. The reason why today when the cross is presented to people and they still associate with the cross with only one man is because this was the sacrificial lamb of God. In him there was no fault. Not only is he the sacrifice, but I want to Share something with you this morning. The place was no mistake. The place was no mistake. In Luke 23 and verse 33, it says these words. Luke 23 and 33, it says these words. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. Listen carefully. When they came to the place, this was an appointed place. This was divinely planned and purposed by God himself. This was no haphazard, rushed sacrifice, but this was a place that is planned. Now I want you to go back with me this morning in the Genesis chapter 22. I want you to see this through scripture. We tie tied together prophetically become to the place. Remember when they were come to the place. Genesis chapter 22, you know the story well here. Genesis 22 and verse 1, it says these words. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee off. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up. And then this is what it says. And went on to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Verse 7, it says, And Isaac spake to his father and said, Father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came, listen carefully, they came to the place, the place which God had told him off. And Abraham built an altar there and led the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and led him on the altar upon the wood. You know, the land of Moriah, this is really just traveling through. There are so many instances of this, but I want to bring you just to one or two. But the land of Moriah, this place that Abraham was shown of the Lord, this place that was Destined by God and his eternal purpose. The word Moriah simply means chosen by Jehovah. This place was chosen in eternity. Before there was a world, before there was a human, before there was a star in the heavens. That God eternally in himself had purposed this place, Moriah. It had been chosen by Jehovah. This was a place that Abraham revealed to him by the Spirit that this is the place. God wasn't interested in Isaac as a sacrifice. He was interested in Abraham's heart. He wanted to test Abraham in his faith and God will test us in our faith. But he's bringing us to a place a place of provision, a place where we see God's purpose and God's plan. And so often in the world in which we're living in today, there's so many clouds of despair and disappointment and fear and everything that goes with that. But God is leading his people to a place. He wants to bring us to a place, but it's by faith. And there's a test of our faith. This place was chosen. If you turn over into 1 Chronicles chapter 21, remember Moriah, the place, the place that Jehovah has chosen. But in 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 15, we read here of another instance in Scripture where David had gone out of the purposes of God and he had numbered Israel. And now there was a judgment upon Israel. And 1 Chronicles tells us of the judgment that came. 1 Chronicles 21 and 15. And it says there that God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and he repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. There was something stopped the hand of the angel in bringing the destruction upon Israel. Something stopped the heart of God. Something at this place that the angel was stopped the very hand of God. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between the heaven and the earth. Having a sword drawn and stretched over Jerusalem, then David said to the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth, in sackcloth, and they fell upon their faces at this place. It's actually amazing that there was a place that the angel of the Lord as destruction was sweeping across Israel that suddenly at this point, David looks up and he sees the angel of the Lord and he had stead his hand, the sword of the Lord, and he's standing between heaven and earth at the threshing floor of Ornan. And David's seen this place. It says in verse 21, And David came to Ornan. And Ornan looked and saw David and went out to the threshing floor and bound himself to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, Listen, this is so amazing. David said to Lord Grant me the place of the threshing floor. Grant me this place of the threshing floor where there was the threshing of the wheat. Where there was that process of the threshing. You know, God will thresh his people. That there's a threshing, there's a sifting that goes on in our lives. Peter, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. That you'll not give up. That you'll not pack it in, that you'll not walk away. And there's so many at the verge and at the edge today within, within the Christian faith that are at the point of turning away. The pressure, the confusion, the fear, the despondency, the despair, the loneliness. The isolation in the day when the body should meet. There's so many at the point of saying, I'm going to walk away. They're being sifted. Sifted. They're being tried in their faith. The trial of our faith. When the son of man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? We're in the last days when our faith is being tried. But thank God there's one in the glory that's praying for us that our faith will not feel. So many, friends, listen carefully. So many on the edge. So many with their back to the wall. So many not knowing where to turn. So many circumstances, trials and difficulties. So much sickness, so much hurt, so much pain, so much despair, so much confusion. But David seen the place. Saint, this morning I want you to see the place. You gotta see the place. David said, grant me, grant me the place of this threshing floor, that at this place I will build an altar therein unto the Lord, that shall grant it me for the full price, that the plague may be stayed from the people. I'll pay it in full. We're going to come to the price in a minute, but I thank God that Jesus paid it all in full. You turn over to 2 Chronicles 3 and verse 1, we see that Solomon is going to build the house that, that David had interceded for and believed for. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 3 and verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Now, where did he build it? He built it in Mount Moriah, chosen by Jehovah. This place wherein the Lord had appeared unto David his father, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Orn and the Jebusite. Let me tell you something, friends, about this place. This place was chosen. This was no mistake. People think it just all comes together somehow. But there's a divine purpose, an eternal purpose of God. And it works from Genesis right through to Revelation. And may God open our understanding to see today the place chosen by the Lord. This was the place that the house, the house of God, the temple of the Lord would be built. This is the place where David had appeared. This is the place where Abraham had laid Isaac upon an altar. And there was a voice came out of heaven and said do no harm to the lad. And there was a ram caught in the thicket because Jehovah Jareh will provide the lamb. Calvary was no mistake. The place was no mistake. It was divinely chosen by Jehovah himself in eternity. This is the place. The Bible tells us in Revelation 13 and verse 8 that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation. Of the world. Before anything. And before there was something. There was God. Listen carefully. Before there was anything. And before there was something. There was God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Ghost. This place had been chosen in eternity. This man that was being led out of those city walls of Jerusalem with the back ploughed like a field, with the crown of thorns on his head, with, with the weakness in his body, with the stumbling of his legs and the weakness as he was going to Calvary. This was a place that was chosen by Jehovah. Here he goes, step by step, and stumbling, weak as he may be, but here, fully God and fully man, we can't even grasp it this morning. The sinless spotless lamb of God he's gone all the way all the way all the way to Calvary Peter says that he was fer- verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you and for me This was a place chosen in eternity but this price was immense It was immense. If you turn over to 1 Peter 1 and verse 18 this morning, the cost was immense. The body of Christ and the shedding of his own precious blood. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18 says these words. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who, was verily, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and your hope might be in God. We are redeemed this morning. An immense price was paid to redeem you. The Bible says that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might be rich. I want to tell you something. If you're saved this morning, you're the wealthiest man on the planet. Not by what you've got in your bank account, not by what car you're driving, not by what size your house is, Thank God for those blessings, but I want to tell you something. See, if you're saved this morning, you're the wealthiest person. Listen, Bill Gates is a pauper. He's a nothing. I know everyone's talking about Bill Gates, but he's a nothing. We're saved by the grace of God. We're the richest people on the earth. Why? Because we've found the pearl of greatest price. That's Jesus. For he hath made him, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Help us take this in. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Here is the sinless, spotless lamb without blemish, being led as a lamb to the slaughter, to the place chosen by Jehovah. And at this place he hath made him, he that knew no sin, but he hath made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can you grasp that this morning? Can you get that this morning, that my sin, that your sin was placed upon him who knew no sin, that he took it all, that he redeemed us, that he purchased us, that when he shed his blood for us, that pattern is found, of course, in the Old Testament as we go through again the patterns and understanding Hebrews brings it out in a most precious way, if you turn over to Hebrews nine and seven, it says these words concerning the high priest. Hebrews nine and seven it says, "But into the second went the high priest alone every year, but he'd never enter into that place, not without what, without blood." You know, friends, I want to tell you something. I know it's simple. But the day that the church shrug off the preaching of the cross and the preaching about the blood, the day that the church shrug off singing about the cross and singing about the blood, the day that the church becomes so advanced and so intellectual with all its apparatus and all its buzzwords, the day that we shrug off the cross and the blood, that's the day it's over. It's over. The blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood that high priest could not enter in, not without the blood. It tells us in verse 28 of the verse, the same chapter, that Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. He was offered to bear the sins of many. I wonder, is there anyone in this room that Jesus has borne your sins? He's borne your sins. And unto them that look for Him, He shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I will be looking for Jesus. What are you looking for this morning? Are you looking for Jesus? Where's your eyes? What are you fixed on? What are you looking at? I know there's a place, and I'll preach it, friends, about the times we're in and the signs, but we're here to preach Christ crucified and the cross. There's actually a subtleness even in what's happening in our day with the rapid increase of the signs and the indications and the COVID and the COVID passports and and all the marks and the bell gates and everything. But listen, we're the church and we preach Christ. There's a place for it. I'm not saying we shouldn't look at it or understand it, but friends, we must come back. Listen, it's still the old rugged cross made the difference made the difference. You see, it was an immense price paid. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our knowledge, the price that was paid, that God sent his only son, his only begotten son into this world. It's beyond our comprehension that he came to us as his creation and his people. And he came onto his own, and his own received him. not. We rejected the Savior. It's beyond our comprehension that he that made the glory and the skies and the earth and the fish and the seas and the beautiful scenery that we've witnessed over the past few days. He created it all, but we rejected him. We not only rejected him, we nailed him to a cross. The creator in flesh, the almighty God, Jesus, and he came to us and we rejected him. And yet, the divine eternal purpose of God was fulfilled. Not as he was led as a lamb to the slaughter to the place. Chosen by Jehovah Calvary. And there on the cross. kneeled to that cross. He shed his blood and cried it's finished. And what happened? The veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. And thank God a way was made. God's eternal purpose. You no know, when it says God's ways are not our ways. Isn't it so true? It says in Hebrews 10 and verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I'll write them. And praise the Lord this morning. Brian shared is so wonderful on Wednesday night and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Hey, that's something to get excited about. Your sins, I'm so thankful this morning. Are you glad that he doesn't remember your sins? I mean, are you glad this morning he does not remember your sins? Isn't it great this morning to know that, friends? There might be people around you know it. There might be friends that you bump into. It happens with us all the time. I went to school with them and Nikki goes red and she goes, what did you do? And and you know, all those sins and all those iniquities, he remembers them no more. Were washed in that blood. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, there was an immense price paid. Friends, there was an immense cost. That is, through the veil, that is to say, through his flesh. There's a way that's been made. He died. You see, all of this, and there's so much more. We're scraping the surface, if you like. But all of this, and the wonder of it all, has no validation if there was no resurrection. It's so important. You see, let me tell you something. Muhammad's in the grave, and Buddha's in the grave. Could I tell you another thing? Mary's in the grave. And King Billy's in the grave. They're all in the grave. Hare Krishna's in the grave. Joseph Smith's in the grave. But Jesus is alive. This is what validates everything of what we read. This is what Paul says. If you turn to it for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Paul writes. In verse 13. There was already a dispute amongst the intellectuals of the early church. There was already men of great theology that were already disputing even the resurrection of Jesus and it had already crept into the church. Do you know that there's churches today that do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Churches today, preachers today that do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says, verse 13. If there be no resurrection of the dead... Then Christ is in risen. And if Christ is not risen. Do you know what friends? All our preaching is vain. And your faith is also vain. Do you know what the word vain means? It simply means empty. We have no faith. And there's not much point preaching. We're just filling the air. There's no purpose in our preaching the cross. Why? Because if we say there's no resurrection, or if there is no resurrection, then all of this is nothing. You might as well be at home today with your feet up on the couch doing nothing. But friends, this morning, he's alive. Our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. Listen carefully. What does that mean? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God is number the Bible says. So then if, if, if there is no resurrection, listen carefully, if there's no resurrection, then this word is just another book. It's just another, it's just, it's just words on a page. But this is the living word. How is it alive? It's alive by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost. So when you read the Word of God, know this this morning. No matter how you feel, no matter where you are in your faith, no matter what's going on, but when you flick open the pages of this book, this book's alive because Jesus is alive. So when you begin to read the promises of God that by His stripes we are healed, we know it's true by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we read it this morning that he's the baptizer and the Holy Ghost, it's not just words on a page. It's a living word. When we know this morning that he's the peace that pastors all understanding, friends, this morning, that's not just words on a page, but because he rose from the grave, those words become alive into our spirit and into our heart this morning. When we read this morning that we're more than conquerors through Christ that gives us strength, then we are more than conquerors, not by our feelings, but by the power of God's word. When we read this morning, friends, that we have nothing to fear in this world because he's not given us the spirit of fear but a part of love and of a sound mind. That's not just words on a page. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these words are alive. But you see, there was an intellectualism that crept into the early church. And friends, it's crept in. Hasn't it crept in? We're so smart today. We just don't believe the simplicity of the cross anymore. We're so advanced today. And all our methods of evangelism. We just don't believe anymore. That this cross can make a difference in a life. We've got all our methods. And all our books. And all our CDs. And all our apparatus. And all our advancement. With all our equipment. And everything. But friends. It's still the cross. Still the cross. And if there's no resurrection. Then. Our preaching is in vain, and so is our faith. It's empty. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 17, Paul writes and says these words And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And listen to this damning words. Ye are yet in your sins. If there's no resurrection, do you know what, friends? This is all just an outward facade, but I thank God this morning. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know beyond anything this morning, not only in me, but in the lives across this room this morning, that the power of the cross has made a difference in your life. I look across this room and I see the power of the cross. I see the reality of the cross. I see that Christ is alive. I see lives have been changed. I see men and women that some would already be in a lost sinner's hell if it had not been for the mercy and the grace of God and the power of the cross. Because you're saved. If Christ is not risen, then our faith, our faith is empty. Our preaching is empty. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I'm so thankful that Jesus is alive. This is the resurrection. Listen, the scientists will never be able to work this out. Not much point trying to create a debate in society with scientists that don't believe a word of it. But friends, this morning, lies are changed by the power of the resurrection. When we move away from this, the centrality of the cross, the sacrifice, the place, the purpose, the price, and the power of the resurrection. Oh, friends, this morning Paul writes these words, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. How did such a man on a donkey and boats and everything else go all across that world with nothing else but the preaching of the cross to them that perish, but the us that are saved? It's the power of God unto salvation. You Who know, the preachers used to say years ago, they nearly said it every week, and you probably heard it a hundred times over. It was the Sadducees that didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. Remember, they used to say that? Do you remember anyone remember them saying that? Have you heard it before? It's good to hear it again, isn't it? But see, if there's no resurrection, friends, I want to tell you something. We are the most miserable people in this world. And we're the most deceived people in this world too. Let me tell you something. On that third day, there was a mighty earthquake. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back that stone and sat upon it. And those keepers became as dead men. And those two women that came, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary that came, heard these words, He is not here, but he's risen. Friends, you know what we need more than anything in this hour, more than anything else? We need the power of the resurrection. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's hard for us to be deprogrammed from it. It's hard for us to get the things stripped back. It's hard for us to try and pull away all the things that we think that we do need, not even in a, just in a sincere way, but we think we need all of this and actually we need none of it. If God gives us it, that's fine. But when these things become the means and the method rather than the old rugged cross, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. You know what we need? We need the power of God. Yeah. How does it come? It comes through the cross. It comes through the cross. Oh, for God to breathe the resurrection power. The resurrection power. Friends, you know, Tozer, was reading a wee bit this week of Tozer. I think I can quote this right, but he said, In every Christian's life, in their heart there's a cross and there is a throne. And if the believer's not on the cross, then he's sitting on the throne. And that throne is for Jesus and Jesus alone. It's time that the believers got off their throne and got themselves on the cross. That's when the power of God will really begin to move. When Jesus is on the throne and we're on the cross. Where are you? Where am I? Who's on the throne and who's on the cross? Lord, help us and give us the grace to get off our thrones. Dig it on that cross. Let Christ be on the throne of every heart. And may the power of God flow through every life in this room. Calvary covers it all. It's still the cross, friends. It's still Calvary. We never get tired of that old rugged tree or that green hill far away. That's the place. What a place it is. But thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the resurrection. So, Father, this morning, we just humbly bow in your presence. Oh, God, this morning, Lord, we cannot create an anxious thought even in this house, Lord. Lord, we cannot, Lord. But, lo, God, we know, Lord, this morning that the Holy Ghost would come, seek to come to glorify Christ alone. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, in this house this morning even for those that do not know you, Lord, that their understanding would be opened and they'd see the place and they'd see the person. Lord, we pray for your church today. Lord, we ask for help. Oh, God, we pray, Lord. Lord, we get off our thrones and we get back on the cross. Lord, this flesh would truly die that Christ would be on the throne of our hearts. Oh God, help us. Help us, Lord, to see it as you see it, not as what way we see it. Help us to see it the way you see it. Lord, give us the grace to put you on the throne of our hearts and put the flesh on the cross and that the power, the resurrection power would flow through your people. Oh God, this morning, Lord, we just humbly bow before you. Lord, we just bow the knee before you. We bow in adoration, Lord, before you. We humbly bow. We humbly bow before you, Lord, and we say with Paul of old that we may know you and the power of your resurrection. Oh, God, we pray, Lord, fellowship of your sufferings, conformable to your death. Lord, we pray, give us the grace to die to yourselves that Christ may live in us and live through us. Oh, we pray this morning, Lord, for a breath of God in this needy land. We pray for those, Lord, in the brink, Lord, in the edge, Lord. Lord, those believers that are really struggling, Lord. Oh, God, we thank you for the resurrection power. We pray you'd breathe your word into their hearts this morning. Lord, we pray you'd dispel the fear. You'd break the chains, Lord. Lord, we pray for those that are sick this morning in this, in this meeting, Lord. Oh, God, this morning we thank you, Lord. Your word says that by your stripes we are healed. No, we are healed. Oh, God, this morning I pray, Lord. Oh, Father, I do pray this morning, Lord. I do pray for our sister Carol even in the midst today, Lord. Lord, even as your word came forth, Lord, after certain days, Lord, that she would rise and do the king's business. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray your word will be mixed with faith. Lord, she'd be touched by your mighty power today in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray, Lord, for everyone that needs a touch. I pray, Lord, thanking you for Brownie and Jenny being with us. But Lord, I thank you there's a name that's above the name of MS. And we thank you that name is Jesus. Lord, I pray you touch them by your mighty power. Lord, I pray you'd breathe, Lord, in this room. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those at home, for Joanna, Lord, for others that need to touch you, Lord, for our sister Jude Gray, Lord, in a moment, Lord. Lord, we do not want the limit, Lord, because the price, the immense price has been paid. Lord, would you touch lives at home, Lord? Oh, Father, I thank you, Lord, by your mighty power, you're more than able. Lord, we pray, Lord, as your people, Lord, that we would get ourselves off our thrones, Lord. Lord, and we get ourselves on the cross. And that that life, Lord, living that life of another, Lord, would truly become a reality by the power of your Spirit. Oh God, this morning, help us each one to live the way you want us to live. Lord, have your way among us while we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord David Jonathan Jillian. Amen.